I hear you fellas talking about your trucks and talking about things to make them more powerful. Power is good. More power is better, I suppose, when it comes to your trucks. So I hear some of you fellows with your trucks talking about doing certain modifications, you know, that might make it even more powerful than it currently is. Power. Power is a good thing. This morning we want to talk about power. We want to talk about power in a much more significant and important way. We want to talk about the power of the gospel. And we simply make a, an emphatic statement, the gospel is powerful. And the reason why this is so important is because the power of the gospel has, has an effect on our eternal souls. You know, I might work on my truck and make it more powerful, but that's going to wear out and it won't last very long. In fact, if I do some of those modifications, it might last even less time because I work it, working it harder. But the power of the gospel is an eternal thing. It has the power to affect our eternal souls. So it's important for us to understand the gospel and its power. And that will be our discussion for a few minutes this morning. We stop here just briefly again to say thanks and to welcome everybody on this Lord's Day. It's a beautiful day in Middle Tennessee and we're beginning to see the... The, the first hints of spring, and that's a good thing, and we enjoy that. And we see God's blessings all around us in the physical creation. It's a wonderful thing. But what's even better is to contemplate how he's blessed us spiritually through his son, Jesus Christ. And those blessings are obvious to us as well if we will look and see. God has blessed us so abundantly. One of those blessings is this opportunity to come together and worship. And, and so we should be grateful and never take it for granted. We're glad you're here. We're especially grateful for our visitors. Please come again every time you have a chance to be here. The gospel is powerful. We might ask, in what areas and in what ways is the gospel powerful? Well, I want to suggest to you that the gospel has the power to attract people, to bring people. I think all of us are aware of the very many different kind of gimmicks that are used in the religious world to try to attract people. And I got to tell you, some of those gimmicks are fairly, fairly successful, at least in getting numbers of people who are looking for what's offered. And what's typically offered is entertainment, fun. The classics that we have referenced many times, there's a big mega church up in Nashville that from time to time will advertise that they're having inside bull riding competitions. And so they turn their auditorium, at least a part of it, into a bull riding arena. And they ride bulls and call it religious service. I think that same place also is sort of famous for having, on the 4th of July, indoor fireworks. I don't know if the words indoor and fireworks should really go together, but they do it. They have fireworks indoors. And the idea is we want to get a crowd of people together. We want to draw people. Well, I want to tell you, it's fun to watch bull riding. And I always like to see the fireworks on the 4th of July. People come for that. Uh, fun, food, entertainment. That's what's being used to draw people. I think the classic example that sticks out in my mind a number of years ago, and I haven't heard about this lately, but a number of years ago there was one uh, religious group in town that was taping money under the seats of their school bus that they drove around to pick up kids for services. And so when the bus got full and it's when they finally reached the destination of the church building, the kids were allowed to reach under their seat and see what was taped there that they and they might get money for coming to church. 
You think we could attract a crowd of people if we offered to pay everybody who came a hundred dollars? Well, I tell you, we could have the place packed and overflowing for a hundred dollars each, right? If that's what we wanted to use to attract people. Carnal appeals. That's very common. Trying to draw people in that way. I tell you though, beyond all of those, and some of those things are pretty extreme that we just mentioned, I tell you what's even more typical though. What's more typical is the messaging that is being used to try to draw people. The kind of lessons, preaching, the kind of sermons, the kind of preachers that are being employed to draw people. These religious services are very much like a a pep rally. Uh, Very flashy presentations, a a feel-good message from a very polished speaker. Uh, Unfortunately, the messages that are preached are typically just fluff uh, and no real substance to them. But all of that points out that people think they have to use something extra to try and draw people. But I'll tell you, the gospel message of Jesus and his sacrificial suffering on the cross of Calvary is plenty powerful to attract those who have honest hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Notice, Paul said that his preaching was not in cleverness of speech. He wasn't trying to use a flashy presentation to attract people. Because notice what he said. The possibility could be that all of it would be void or good for nothing. If people come for some reason other than just the gospel, then it's possible that it's all in vain. It's not good for anything. If people are being drawn for some other reason. In the very next chapter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, Paul talked a little bit more about himself as a speaker. And he definitely says he was not a flashy public speaker. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Do you see it? You see that Paul's describing himself. He did, people didn't flock around to hear Paul because uh, you've got to hear this guy. He is, so, he is so fun to listen to. He is such a great public speaker. He's such a polished presenter. I mean, he is off the charts good. Paul admitted that he was not that way. But his emphasis, though, was on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what his preaching was. Uh, it wasn't about Paul. Personally, it was about the message of Jesus that he was preaching. And that's what he used to draw people. And I believe that that's what we ought to use to attract people as well. You know, the fact of the matter is that if we attract people with other means, they probably won't stick around when those means are gone. The old expression has been used, if you draw them with hot dogs, you're going to have to keep them with hot dogs. In other words, if you got them to come because they thought they could get some free food and fun, then you're going to have to keep presenting the free food and fun to keep them coming because that's what they came for. They didn't come to hear Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's actually an example of this in the life of Jesus Himself, and you know it well. In John chapter 6, earlier in the chapter, Jesus had fed the multitudes of people who followed Him. He did a miracle. 
and he fed thousands of people with just a handful of food. The next day, they tried to find him. He had moved from one spot to another, and they tried to locate him. And Jesus perceived that their motives were not pure. They hadn't come for the pure preaching of the gospel. Jesus answered them in John 6, 26, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, he goes on to tell them. And so Jesus, remember that he had divine insights, and he was was not misjudging the crowd. He was accurately judging them that they had come looking for more food. And you read that chapter through, and I'll tell you what you find out is he did not feed them. He did not feed them that day when he perceived that that's what they were after. And in fact, in verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What did we just say? You bring them with food, you're going to have to keep giving them food to keep them. If you cut the food off, what happens? It's what happened in the case of Jesus. He fed them miraculously one day, and the next day when they didn't get any food, they were done with that. And so, the gospel is the attraction. And it must be what we use to attract people. Uh, I'm, I'm sad to say that a lot of people don't have confidence in that. Uh, they don't trust it. They don't think it will work. We're going to have to do something different. And that's not that far away from us in the religious world. I've got to say, we've got some brethren among churches of Christ who feel that same way. That we're going to have to attract people in a different way. No, the gospel is the attractant. And we must trust it and use it. Honest hearts will come to the drawing power of the gospel. Of course, the principal thing that we need to know is that the gospel has the power to save us. Our big problem... And I'm speaking for us all here, at least every accountable person, maybe the little little infant children we could exclude, but for the vast majority of us who are accountable people, you know what our big problem is, right? Our big problem is sin. Our big problem is that sin alienates us from God. We're separated from God because of sin. I know, and I can say with absolute confidence, you've been hearing all about this coronavirus outbreak that now... I mean, you can hardly listen to anything in the news, but what it's mentioning, the coronavirus. And this is going to become a a pan, not just an epidemic, but a pandemic. The idea of pandemic is it crosses all national, international lines and it becomes a a, a global outbreak of disease. And I'll tell you, there's plenty of scary news. And I think that some people are even hyping the scariness of this coronavirus. What if you heard? What if you heard, the news breaks this afternoon that they have, they have, because they've been working feverishly at it, they have affected a vaccine. Uh, and, and now we can put this to rest. The coronavirus will not be a threat. Uh, the, the threat has been mitigated by virtue of a vaccine that has been invented. Would that be wonderful news? I think you'd agree with me. That's wonderful news I'll tell you, the news about the gospel, the news that the gospel conveys is better news than that. If, and we've got to think that way because this solves not just some temporary physical ailment. The news of the gospel is that there's a solution to sin, that salvation has been made available to us through Jesus Christ. 
In the reading that Joel did earlier in Romans chapter 1, you know this text. Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's kind of interesting to look at the root from which our this word power is translated. The, the, the form in the Greek is the form, the root of that word is the word that we would use to speak of dynamite. When you think of the power of dynamite, here the power of the gospel, the, it's the power of God unto salvation. And so this is really, this is really important, isn't it? You know, the gospel, this word gospel, that's a word that we don't ever use anywhere else other than when we're speaking biblically or in, in a church service. Well, you, you probably would never mention the word gospel unless you were talking about religious things, Bible things. But the word has a very simple, literal meaning. The literal meaning of gospel is good news. Good news. And so this is really good news. This is better news. I'm going to tell you, this is way better news than that they found a vaccine for the coronavirus. This is way better news than that. This is really good news. There's, there's a powerful solution for our sin problem. Salvation in Christ Jesus. You know, God could have chosen any way that he wanted to save mankind. I mean, it was his call, right? He's the creator. Uh, He's the one who gets to make all the authoritative decisions. God could have chosen to save us any way that he wants. But he chose the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of this good news. That's part of God's plan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 18, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, But unto us which are saved, it is, notice, the power of God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you see it? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There's power here. That's why it is so important. In fact, if you want to know how important it is, look at what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. Why, is it, why, is this, why, why are you making such a big deal about the gospel? Why are you saying it's so important? Well, in 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 7, To you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and what? That obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Why is this gospel so important? Well, because it conveys the message of salvation. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't obey it, you're going to be punished with everlasting destruction. So the gospel is certainly powerful. Powerful to save. I want to also point out that the gospel is powerful to change us. A central part of the gospel message is the necessity of change. The word, the Bible word for change is repentance, right? And so a central part of the gospel message is that we need to repent. Look in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So repentance, 
for the forgiveness of sins. That's what is being proclaimed in His name through the gospel. We've got to change. We've got to repent. But I'll tell you, there's plenty of people who just say, I can't change. I'm not able to change. Uh, sometimes people will excuse maybe specific sinful traits that they have. Specific sinful habits that they continue to repeat. And they just say, I can't. I can't change. I want to tell you, the Bible says that you can. The very fact that we're commanded to repent indicates that we can repent. God doesn't ask us to do the impossible. You can change. In fact, lots of people have. Ever from the beginning, the first century, when the gospel was preached in the world, people have been changing to conform their lives to that gospel message. In 1 Corinthians, we read about some who did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, notice... This is describing some people who change. Such were some of you. In other words, they had changed from these sinful activities that they were engaged in. I'll tell you something. If they can change, we can change. It's possible to do so. And some of the things that are mentioned in that list, probably pretty tough. Uh, For instance, it's pretty hard to overcome drunkenness. You ever know anybody who was truly an alcoholic? I mean, really given over to alcohol? Well, you're going to have to change from that. And people do. We've known people who have. For that matter, have you ever known somebody who was pretty greedy? Yeah, we've known people who are greedy. But that can be overcome. These people did. You want to talk about one in this? This is probably very hard. Homosexuality. We hear about those who practice homosexuality. I'm certain that that would be a difficult lifestyle to change from. But the fact of the matter is that there were people in Corinth who had done so. It's hard, yes. But the gospel message has the power to change us. Uh, And many have and all must. The gospel has the power to change us. Well, finally... Let me tell you that the gospel has the power to really, finally, and ultimately improve our lives. Okay, someone says, I guess I'll just have to grit my teeth uh, and do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do what the gospel says to do, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not looking forward to it. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to change my life and be different. In fact, I think this is just going to be terrible and awful and dreadful. And it's just, but I just have to do it. And it's not going to be pleasant in any way whatsoever. That's the wrong view, isn't it? It is absolutely the wrong view. Paul said when he was speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, beginning verse 7, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. As we've looked at this verse in the past, 
notice he says physically training your body. And some people really get into that, right? You look at some of those guys who, and gals even who are weightlifters. I mean, they build the muscles in their body. It, we're not, I don't think there's any weight trainers here, not any extreme weight trainers anyway. But we understand it's good to get out and walk. It's good to get some exercise. That's, that's beneficial. Paul says that training the physical body is of some value. He's not dismissing that. But he says godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for, well, first of all, he says it holds promise for the life to come. That's talking about eternity, right? Well, that, that would maybe correspond to the view, I'm just going to have to grit my teeth and do it because I want to go to heaven. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be dreadful. But I'm going to do, I'm going to live the way the gospel teaches because I want to go to heaven. Okay. Well, that's true, right? Living, living according to what the gospel teaches will help us make it to heaven ultimately. But notice, Paul says that the, living this way holds promise for the present life too. That idea that it's just horrible and dreadful and just unpleasant in every sense of the word is a wrong view. The fact of the matter is that when we live the way the gospel tells us to live, that our lives are better now and we get to go to heaven as well. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that the gospel is valuable in the present life as well as for the life to come? We really think that's true, right? Not just because verses like this tell us so. I want to tell you also, there's empirical evidence all around us of people who, whose lives demonstrate that living true to the gospel is the best way. Their lives are better. Uh, their families are enriched. Marriages are improved. Parent-child relationships are, uh, uh, are, are made better. Life is better when we live the way the gospel says. Uh, and so th- that's the idea here when we say that the gospel has the power to improve our lives. We just need to believe that and live it. And we will see the benefit uh, in our lives. So the gospel is powerful. There's just no doubt about it. It can draw true seekers to find what they need for salvation. It can change their lives and make them totally different people. You know, the scriptures use words like uh, transformed when it speaks about how the gospel changes people. It uses words like renewed. Their lives are renewed. They are conformed to the will of God. Power has, the gospel has the power to change us and to therefore enrich our lives and make us better. What about you? Have you allowed the gospel to work in your life? We hope that you have. And, and if not, we would appeal to you to make that decision now. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never listened to and obeyed that simple gospel message, we hope you make that decision today. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you in that obedience, we want to do so even right now. Or if you need more study, if we can assist you with more information, say a word. We'll be glad to do that. If you're a Christian already, but you you understand that in your life you've not been living true to the gospel message, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.